right, I have a lot to get through this morning as we're in our, you know, last bit of a stretch in this Fortified series. We have this Sunday, and then we have next weekend uh, is going to be our wrap-up in this series. And I'm, and I'm super excited that we're having a night of worship on the 28th of May. I, uh, we, we always believe that God is going to do something in those nights. And, and no matter what we believe for, he always exceeds those expectations. And, um, and so these nights where we gather with additional churches around our city, but the focus is not to unite with churches. The focus is to, um, is to really surround ourselves where, and, and, and place Jesus where he belongs in the middle. So the whole worship night is truly about worshiping and being at Jesus' feet. Um, and so we're doing it for all of our teams. We don't have kiddos department. We do have some, we do have production. Um, but I would encourage each person, if you're a visitor here, show up. Bring your family. Bring your friends. The kids are welcome. We won't have child care, but the kids can come and they can worship along with us. Um, and especially if you're serving here and you're part of our church, this is for you. Uh, so I would encourage you to prioritize uh, these nights. We're only, do, we're only doing them four times a year. And, um, and there's a little surprise that we're going to uh, announce on this worship night as well. And so I'm excited to be able to do that. But if you don't make it there, you may never hear about the surprise. So um, whatever I need to do to get you there, um, God's going to be there. And we may give a dollar to every person who shows up. I don't know. Or five, maybe. I don't know. Seven, maybe. All right. All um, right. <laughs> Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, I want to, actually I'm not going to read the whole thing in this translation because I want to read the whole thing in the message translation, but I do want to read um, verse uh, 13. So Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13, and then we'll just read 13 th through um, 17. Right. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist with the righteousness like armor on, on your chest and your feet uh, sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Uh, in every situation, right, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So those are five, six. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I do want to read this in the message translation. Um, so just listen, listen closely. Let this speak to you. Um, and the message is a paraphrase. So we'll jump in and use it here and there. Um, but it helps to broaden some of the verses and to, you know, just add to help, help us kind of even see what more these verses uh, are talking about as well. So let me read this for you and see if it lands anywhere. And that about wraps it up. This is verse 10. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no weekend war that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all of his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, 
righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You will need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare, prayer, pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and your sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. And we said this throughout the series, um, and it remains to be true, that Jesus has won the war, but we still need to win the battles. And Jesus has empowered us and has given us everything in order for us to be victorious. But it has to be taken on. It's, it's here you go, you can use them, it's yours. And the challenge over the series is to know what these weapons are, and for us to know that it is on us to pick these things up. And if you, have def if you have been living a defeated life, chances are good that you have not been picking up the tools that God has already given you. So you're missing out and you're living a defeated life. How sad is that? God does not want us to live defeated lives, especially if he's already won. And especially if he has given us everything else for all these smaller battles and attacks. And so it's easy for us to dismiss certain weapons. Like the thing that I'm going to talk about is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Like it's a, it's a given. Like, of course, the Bible, you're going to tell me to read the Bible. Well, if you're thinking that, I'm going to tell you to read the Bible. That's probably not me at this point. It's probably the Holy Spirit. And you're confusing it with my voice. But I will echo the Holy Spirit and say, yes, you should read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. You ought to read your Bible. What's wrong with you if you're not reading your Bible? Those are my words, not the Holy Spirit. But maybe for some of you, it is the Holy Spirit. So I will also fall behind and repeat that. <laughs> um, in the armor, you know not to be outdone by Rusty, um, he's, you know, created a shield. I remember I brought on, if you guys don't remember, I brought on a uh, plate carriers. Yeah, and the sword is a little bit more challenging because it becomes a weapon and someone can sue us for a weapon. Um, <laughs> making sure you guys are awake. Um, but there are two words and, and the swords, as you can, there's a whole history of swords. There's samurai swords, which is kind of interesting because with samurai swords, they actually pray and assign spirits to their swords, which is kind of interesting. Um, there are the big swords like, you know, um, William, what's the guy's name? Uh, Wallace. Oh, you guys know that. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so you have like these huge four to, you know, five foot long like heavy, heavy swords that are just like you just use them to just destroy everything in your path. Um, but what is interesting with this word of the sword, it's actually not talking about a huge sword. Because remember, you have, you have um, the soldier who has this shield and the helmet and all this armor. So for them, in order to be able to fight, um, they need something smaller. They cannot have something massive because they're just, it won't work. They will die. And so this, um, this word for sword is actually not a big sword, but it's, it, it's speaking more of like a dagger, like a 
maybe a two-foot-long blade that's sharp on both sides. And, and what is neat about those swords is that it's designed for hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's designed for face-to-face. -face. And so you just cannot be given a sword and go out there. No, you have to train. You have to be familiar with this, with this weapon. You have to be strategic with it. You have, to, you have to know how to handle it well or you will die. Because in, in battles, there's always different stages of battles from air and distant. And then there's the hand-to-hand -hand combat style of, of fighting. And this is what this is talking about. It means that there's going to be a few, you're going to be battling face-to-face -face with um with with satan and the things that he has for you so you need to be able to know that this weapon this sword is available to you but if if that's all you know and you don't know how to wield it properly you will suffer the consequences of not knowing how to wield the sword property properly and what's interesting is in this passage is it's actually taking talking about what the way it says it is it says it's take up the sword of the spirit and the, the meaning behind taking it up, it's this meaning that when you need it, it's there. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're just walking around waiting for it. It just means you have it and the moment that you need it, you know where it is and you're able to whip it out. And so I want to briefly go over the idea of scripture because that's what the sword is. It's talking about the word of God. And, and I know this is going to be a little familiar for, for, for most of us if you've been in the church. Um, but there's a few things about the word of God that I want to just remind us this morning. Um, and I'm telling you, I'm just scratching the surface of talking about scripture. But the first thing is... Is something that we have to know, right? And so, and something that we have to believe. So, in order for you to even learn, and before you even learn how to wield this weapon, the word scripture, you have to believe it. You have to believe it. If you don't believe it, you'll just be saying words. And the devil knows that you don't believe it, so they will not be effective. And you're going to say it doesn't work. So you have to believe not just what you read, but you have to believe that the scripture is, is, is God, not just inspired, but is God breathed. That means that there's life in this word. When Jesus, when God made Adam and Eve, it was just dust and dirt. This is just pages. This is just tree. This is just material. You can burn this. But what makes scripture scripture is that it has to come alive. And this is what makes scripture different from all other sacred or non-sacred writings. Is that scripture actually comes alive because it is breathed. It is God's breath. So we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. And in most cases you'll be very familiar with, this, with these passages. But it says this. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. And then tells you for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Right? So it's God-breathed. It, all of it is God-inspired. And, and I just want to clarify that there is a natural and a supernatural aspect to the writing of Scripture. Many times when people think and when you're talking about that this, is, this came from God, they, they, they tend to go into the sci-fi world of someone being in a trance and basically saying, all right, whoa, what's happening? My hand's moving. I need a pen. Hurry up, guys. My hand's moving. Let me find a pen. All right. 
All right, there's a pen. All right, let's see here. Oh, something. Oh, something. Wow. Hold on a second. Are you watching this? Are you watching this? Look. Oh, okay. This must be the, this. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. God never bypasses humanity to do what he wants to do. He uses humanity, and each person is unique. So when you read this book, you will get glimpses of the author's character. It's not just some overshadowing and someone just blacks out and then, oh, got the letter of James. Oh, we got the gospel of Matthew. Whoa, no. These are real people, real places, real issues. Um, so there's a natural, God uses the natural, the human style and characteristics to write the, 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 the scriptures. But it's not just a natural man's thoughts. It's not just what man wants to say. It is infused with the Holy Spirit, so they're not writing from their own thoughts and their own imaginations. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says this. For no prophecy, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if you look at the vessel, the vessel is there. But when you put your sails up, the wind then takes you. Where you need to go and that's like the the how the scripture was written is like the holy spirit shows up and it just tells you and, and and direct connection of what you need to say and how you need to write it um so the wind filling the sail on the boat is is what carries it over the water and so um but we have to believe it we have to believe it that this came from god written by man but came from god god inspired that means that god does not make mistakes but there may be some grammatical things here and there because humans still make mistakes um and there are some language changes <laughs> try to interpret and translate when we were in ukraine um we call Farron the american you know probably should make a movie just called the american who lands in ukraine and um and so you have this google translator and he'll just turn it on and just be like just just putting it in people's faces right and it's and it's uh, capturing whoever is talking and then translating it so he's reading what they're saying and so it becomes a very helpful tool but um and so when we we, we, we get stuck in poland and the and the polish people um they have their own language they have a polish language so i don't fully understand it there's just words here and there and so we we had to use this google translator to help us translate it so i type things in and then and then you have this option where you can hear it or you can read it and as i, as I type it in english and whatever comes out i'm like yeah that that's what i'm saying but that's not how i want to say it at all at all it becomes very like formal and very direct and you're like wow like even saying that oh man that's cool right it'll translate to say dude you are cold no no cool is good cool is like you're you, we connect you know and so uh, um <laughs> so so translations translation could be very 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 touchy and so it's when there's tension there and it's good because it's not just, God did not just drop it in the King James Version. I'm sorry, he just did not drop it in the English language either. And so, so you see some of this stuff, but God preserved it. You have to understand, the Bible is the most reliable ancient, script, uh, ancient writings we have. By far. And you don't have to be a Christian to believe that. That's science. And that's not fake science. That's real science. 
And it's amazing because when you start studying all this stuff, you realize that we, the Bible is one of the most and best trusted books we have ever, period. And it is the most best-selling book of all time. It's just the least read at the same time. So we have to believe it. We have to know it. And the way you know it is by reading it, studying it, and having it planted within our hearts. Because it's going to help us to detect and to disable Satan's lies. Knowing it is just another step. Reading it and knowing it. The third part of, of this is that you not only have to believe it and know it. You also need to be able to rightly divide it. Meaning I can't just pick a verse and run with it and say, well, it's still in the Bible. So it must be true. Well, you forget that Satan used or misused scripture when he was tempting Jesus. So just quoting scripture means nothing. It just means you've read it and you remembered something. And so most of the passages that you use as verses are probably out of context. Probably. Most of them are out of context because we will, we will fight the devil with a, with, 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 with a few verses and that's it. And a lot of times we'll use verses to justify our behaviors. No one has done that? <laughs> gotcha. That was the Holy Spirit, by the way. It wasn't me. All right. Um, rightly dividing it doesn't mean that you read it and say, well, what does it mean to me? That's not where you start. It may mean nothing to you in, in reference to application. And that's a good thing. Trust me, that's a good thing that not every verse is applicable to us in that way. It's all applicable. It does something collectively, but you just cannot get a verse and say, that's for me. Well, how are you going to apply it? And if that's where you start, you will always miss it. So there's this, there's this thing that, that we have to do in order to rightly divide it. We have to look into the, uh, the authorial intent, meaning to find out what the author intended it to mean. What's the historical context of what is written? Who is it written for? What is it addressing? What is it meaning? And don't get me wrong. God will give you verses where you don't know none of that and it still applies to you. That happens. God is not going to be like, sorry, can't use it because you don't know it. No, he is graceful and he knows you need it. But it will limit your ability to be victorious. So as you just believe it, know it, rightly dividing it becomes very critical so that you don't veer off course and off path. And then the fourth thing is we have to use it. It's not good enough that we know it and can quote it and believe it. James 1.22 is very familiar. He puts it this way, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not hearers only, because you deceive yourself. And it is easy for us if you go down this list, I believe it. Yes, I believe it. I know it. Well, I'll read it once in a while. That's where the breakdown is, knowing what it says. And then it, and then it even breaks down even more when you begin to try to rightly divide it. It's all Greek to me. Really, you're just going to dismiss God's breath 
because it's a little bit challenging for you to step out of your comfort zone and Netflix to sit with the words of the Lord. Only knowing what it says will puff one up. Using it, wielding it, will bring glory to God and victory to your situation. Um, and it's vital that we, we, that we know, believe it, and we know, and we begin to, you know, bury it within our hearts because you don't know when you're going to need it. When Satan attacked Jesus, he attacked him whenever Jesus bumped into a problem. He got hungry, and that's when Satan showed up. So whenever he's attacking you at your problem, the last thing you want to do is respond to him in your own imagination, in your own thinking, in your own feeling. And when you have hidden the word within your heart, then if someone comes to attack you, what? What? You're like, what? What, what did you say? What did you say? You know? What? What did you say? What? Say it again. You say it's written? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is also written. That's what Jesus used. He just whooped it out. And Satan was like, ooh, did not see that one. Hidden within your heart. Hidden. Only I knew that it was there. That's what hidden means. Only you know how much of, your, of his word is hidden. But many of us would like to be on display. Oh, yeah, I got my Bible, y'all. I'm going to quote it on social media. I got my word. Yeah, quit quoting the same six passages you've been quoting for 15 years. Give me a break. Like that's all you have. It's shallow. It's shameful. And it's not useful. And you know it. And you're suffering because you want it to work so bad. And God's like, why don't you not have the scripture on display but hide it within your heart? So whenever the enemy comes, you'll be able to whip it out. Because in those moments, you won't have a friend that can help you, a pastor a worship service, you won't have no one because if you did, then Satan would just be defeated a lot more easier. But he attacks you when you're by yourself, when you have no one. And if you don't have the word, he's already won before he even tempts you. And he knows it and he'll do it over and over and over again because we love to respond emotionally. I declare, da, da, da. God said it, the promise, blah. And then you still feel empty because that's all you have is volume. The word word is actually divided into three parts. There's three different words for the word word. Um, the first one is um, graphe. 
And that is talking about the, the writings, the book. So like, look, I have graphe. See, everybody, I have graphe. And many of us, this is what we have. I've got the word. I have graphe. See, guys, I have them everywhere. I have them on my phone app. I have them everywhere. But that's, that's one aspect of the word is just is having the writing. Another word for word is logos. And we're more familiar with logos because it is the message. It is the message inside the writings. What is the writings? Right? This is when we read in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Meaning that God sent messages through prophets and then God sent himself. God sent his son. In the beginning was the word. It was logos. The message. So Jesus, became, Jesus came to earth as the message. But that's not what it's talking about here either. When it's talking about yielding the sword, the word is talking about another word, which is rhema. Rhema. When Jesus spoke, when he was tempted, he says that when he spoke, he used the rhema word. Because what the rhema word is, it is the utterance of logos. It is the specific, it's the spoken, it's the declared, it's the vocalized, it's speaking God's word that has been hidden in your heart. It is the right word for the right time. It is the word that you're searching for, the word that you're needing. So when you are attacked, do you have cuss words or God words coming out? What is hidden in your heart is what comes out. But when you're attacked, You need to be able to speak God's word because that's when it's rhema, when it's uttered, when it goes from your heart and is spoken, it's vocalized, it's verbalized, it's uttered. It's a difference between you knowing that you love your spouse and you telling her you love your spouse. It's the action it's the doing of the word it is allowing this word to be the answer that you give hebrews 4 12 says this for the word of god is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit joints and marrow it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart this means that this word once it gets in you it differentiates how you feel how you were brought up all of these internal things that is invisible to everyone around you but God deals with all of those things and so 
it begins to come alive within you. You begin to experience this logo. You know this logo. You know this message. And then whenever something attacks you, you whip it out. And now it's an action word. And now it's coming. It's being uttered. Now it has its power. Because it's being used. Wielding it and knowing how to wield it becomes the difference between victory and defeat. And maybe that's why we have a difficult time reading and studying and learning and dividing it. Because a lot of times we use scripture on other people. And God first and foremost wants to use it on us. And when he uses it on us, there are some shifts and changes that we are convicted of that we need to make that we may not want to make yet. So God's like, let my word divide your thoughts, your history, your false understandings, your misconceptions. Let me divide all this so that you know this is me speaking, right? And this is your thoughts. And let me just divide this so you know so that your thoughts could then become his thoughts. And your ways could become his ways. And so then... You move, scripture then will move from your life from just being motivational. Because it will motivate you. It will also inspire you. But it also eliminate, illuminates parts of you. And then if you allow it, it will also transform you. It has that power. And I think we fail to realize that Jesus used the rhema word against the devil. Devil comes using scripture, misquoting scripture. And Jesus pulls out the sword. And he wins the battle. As I was reading this, I'm like, man, imagine... Your victory is as easy as it is written. God, you said. Devil, do you know what it says? But no, he wants to entangle us in emotions. He wants to get us all spiritually fired up and create huddles of 24-7 40 days a year prayer to beat the devil. And it's like, and I'm not saying those are wrong. God's leading you to do certain things. Go for it. But what if the best way to beat the devil is to quote scripture to him? What if devil's single greatest level of attack is not all the things that you're experiencing right now. What if everything started from this one thing and that is doubt? And what if doubt is the baseline for his attack, which then leads you to not have self-worth because you're doubting your value? Leads you to mistrust? Leads you to depression? To anxiety? I mean, think about it. Satan did that with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? And then he's doing the same thing with Jesus. The Bible says, Jesus, 
blah, 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 blah. And Jesus says, yeah, the Bible is also written, Satan. Satan's like, oh, got me. All right, let's do it again. Three times he tried to make Jesus doubt the word. And Jesus did not have the iPhone to pull up and do a key search. Huh, food, manna. Where can I find it? Oh, Deuteronomy. Oh, what is Deuteronomy? Oh, it's talking about the manna that was sent from, from, from God in Egypt uh, when they were, they were in the wilderness because he fed them. Okay, yeah, that did happen. That did happen. Jesus hid the word in his heart. Whenever he was attacked, there was no one there. There's no one there. Because the most powerful thing is there. And that is the word of God. I love what this one person said. He says, if the living word needed to use the written word to defeat the enemy of the word, how much more do we who have written no word need to use that same word against the enemy of the word? <laughs> now, all right, I'm going to skip, skip, skip. Psalm 119. I'd like the band to come up. Psalm 19 is, I told them in the back, I was like, look, I don't know what I'm going to read from Psalm 19. Because Psalm 19 is, um, is actually the longest chapter in the whole Bible. It has 176 verses. And it is zeroing in on the word of God. A few, a couple little facts from Psalm 119. It is written in an acrostic form using the Hebrew alphabet as its structural guide. Meaning there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and therefore there are 22 stanzas in Psalm 119. Each verse in a particular stanza starts with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet that is named after. So for example, Aleph verses 1 through 8 all start with the Hebrew letter A. In Psalm 119, it's talking about God's word and it's divided into the Hebrew alphabet in its 22 stanzas. And it is believed by some or many that that David and Solomon, they used Psalm 119 to teach their children about God's word, his ways, and also about the Hebrew language and the Hebrew alphabet. And there are synonyms for the word of God from Psalm in 119. And you'll read the word of God, it'll, it'll reference it as the law, which is instructions, testimonies, which is our God stories, precepts, what God has appointed to be done, statues, what the divine lawgiver has laid down, commandments, what God has commanded, rules, what the divine judge has ruled to be right, word, what God has spoken, promise, 
all that God has declared and decreed in his word. Also, there are statements about the word of God where God's word is righteous. God's word is true. It's sure. It is our delight. It is our counselor forever. It's sweet. It's light. My songs, the joy of my heart. And then it has even additions that it has functions of the word of God. God's word guards us from sin. This is all in Psalm 119. It talks about God keeps us pure with his word, gives life, transforms our gaze, helps us to answer in opposition, comforts us in affliction, helps us to be thankful, provides hope, sustains us in affliction, makes us wise, brings understanding, leads us to grieve sin, helps us. Charles Spurgeon lists eight marks of true love for God's word. And I, I kind of, I want to end with this. Because what happens is that sometimes we, we look at reading the Bible as a gift for certain people. But we say, I'm just, I'm just not a reader. We treat it like it's optional and it's for certain people. But scripture, it's a gift for us, but reading it is not a selective option or a gift. It's like loving people. It is easy to love those that love you, but it is God's love through you when you love those who hate you. That takes time. That takes submission to something other than yourself in order to love other people and reading the bible is like that it's it's not for just a few people some people love the bible other people love people so i just love people that's just my gift but the bible is like the gospel you cannot separate it and relegate it only to a few. It's for all. It's for you. And you know those moments that you sat by yourself defeated, you weren't prepared. And God is challenging you to prepare so that the next battle you have will be a guaranteed victory for you. And so, just a few things from Charles Spurgeon. We're gonna, and we're going to sit here just for a minute to let God talk to us. Because he will say more to us than I could ever tell you. But I love what Spurgeon, his list, he says, this is a mark of a true lover of God's word. There's reverence for the authority of God's word. There's an admiration for its holiness. There's jealousy for its honor. There's respect for all that it says. There's diligence in the study of it. There's eager desire to obey it. 
there is readiness to praise it. And the last one, there is a great desire to share it with others. We value God's word here high above all else. All of our experiences are subject to the thing that God has written, the gift that he has given us, which is his word. When I counsel people, I repeat what scripture tells me because it tells them the same thing. So when people reject what I say, it's okay with me because I'm just copying what God is saying. And so they're rejecting God, not me. I highly value scripture. I think it is one of the most underused tools for a Christian's life. This is why people aren't united. This is why people are confused within the church. This is why people live in offense. This is why people live in sin. This is why people do not know how to love their neighbor. We've learned how to wield the sword on other people and fail to allow that same sword to divide and make things right within us. So please don't misunderstand reading the Bible and just adding it to a list of things to do so that you can be good with God. Ask him for a desire. Say, God, I, I hate reading your Bible. I hate reading. Just come to him with whatever your excuse is. He will draw you if you have a deep desire and your desire, even if your desire is not even there, he will tell you, here's how we can develop your desire. If you don't have time, there are ways around it. Whatever your excuse is, I promise you, it is an excuse. We need to be not just listeners of the word, but we need to eat and feed ourselves of his word because it is life on so many levels um, if you go onto our website we as a church have established a thing to read through the whole bible in a year every year and um, it's called the immersive 365 plan and it doesn't matter if you haven't read it at all this year. I would highly encourage you to go to avlcitycenter.com. Click on the picture and the link that has the Immersive 365 plan. Sign up to it and just start reading today's reading. You don't have to worry about trying to catch up. Just start reading. Get this life-saving food in your system. Um, the way that that plan is worked out is that you're reading from 
Proverbs every single day. So you're going through the whole book of Proverbs every month. So you'll read through Proverbs 12 times in a year. Um, you read through the New Testament every quarter. So you read through the New Testament four times. And then the Old Testament, you'll read through the whole thing once. But you're reading the Old Testament in chronological order. And you're also reading the New Testament in chronological order. Did you know that Jesus' favorite book, what his favorite book was in the Old Testament? Because that's all he quoted. Every time he's talking about God's word and God's law and hiding it and breathe, God breathing on it, it's talking about the Old Testament. And Jesus' most quoted book was Deuteronomy. Every time he addressed Satan, it's, he quoted Deuteronomy. And if Jesus needed that, how much more do we? 